This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. If you're at Philippians chapter 3, let's stand together and we're going to read verses 4 through 11. I want you to follow along. And remember, the reason why we stand as we read God's word is because we want to we remind ourselves that this is His Word. This is His voice. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh, also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I count as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and may share in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. That by any means possible, I may, obtain, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Father, help us to hear. Spirit, help me to preach. God, sink these words deep into our hearts. Let us grow closer to you. In Jesus' name, the church said, Amen. The thing that you'd notice really quickly as you're reading this text as Paul is writing to the church in Philippi is he's doing something uh, very important. Um, Paul is deliberately laying aside his personal righteousness and elevating the knowing of Christ. And not only is he laying aside, not only is he saying, I've done these things, um, but, you know, it's not that big of a deal. He's taking the things that he would count as personal righteousness, that anybody reading would say, uh, man, he's done a lot more than me. Matter of fact, he said it. If you, have, if you have something to boast in, I have more. Uh, he knows that he's done way more as far as uh, self-righteousness would be concerned than anybody else. So he's not just saying, I've done more and it's no big deal. He's saying all of those things that would be attributed to self-righteousness or, or making my own name great or making me right before God, all the things that I have done, not that they're just no big deal, they're rubbish or some translations say dung. They're stinky, they're nasty, they're dirty, they're nothing, they're rubbish. Why would he, why, why would he do this? Um, 
the people of this time, and, and I, I, I hope you know the people of ours, struggle with this same reality. They're worried, religious people, self-righteous people, are worried um, that if you tell somebody that you are saved because of what Christ has done, because of His works, because of what God has done. You're saved by grace, not of yourself, lest any man should boast. You're saved because of His righteousness, and then your trust in His work is what makes us righteous. If we, if we really preach this gospel that our faith in Christ and in His work if we tell people that they are loved by God and that they are saved by grace, not of their own efforts, there's this, this fear in us. I've heard it so many times. That if you tell somebody that they are saved because of this, or because if you tell somebody that their works and their, their, their self-righteous behaviors and the, the good things that they have done and all the things that they could boast in, their knowledge, their intellect, their obedience to the law, if you tell them that all those things are just filthy, dirty, dung, they're nothing. If you tell them that and that you, you point to what Christ has done, there's a fear. Well, if you tell people that, then what's going to take place is they're not going to do anything good. Because the only reason somebody would do something good is so that they could receive something good. We are so convinced that reward is the best way of motivating good works. That we feel like if we tell somebody, you're already loved because of what Christ has done in faith and trust in Him by grace, then you won't be able to motivate good works. Basically, they'll become numb and won't have any passion. They won't do anything. If you tell them this, they won't do anything. I can't tell you how many times in preaching the truths of the gospel have I heard people say, man, you're going to have a ton of people who won't do good works and won't have passion for God and won't obey basically what they're worried about is people becoming drunk on grace if you will drunk on grace now the reason why i use that term is i did just go on a cruise and i i realized something the only way to enjoy a cruise is by being drunk okay <laughs> and because i didn't get drunk uh i didn't have that much fun i guess i don't know and I was sitting on the cruise, everybody's been wasted. I mean, they have these passes that you can buy. Uh, I didn't buy one. Uh, I had to help Dana, you know, and just kidding. That I didn't happen. You buy a pass where you get 15 drinks a day, right? And if you, drink, if you drink five of them, you get your money back. I mean, this is the logic here, right? If you drink five of them, you get your money's worth. But anything above that, you're ripping the boat off, according to those who buy the unlimited 15-drink pass, right? I figured that those who buy those passes take it more as a challenge to drink 15 drinks uh, than they do like, man, I'm getting a good deal. Now let me get it. It's like going to a buffet. I paid for all this food. I better eat all of it at the whole buffet. I'm sitting there minding my own business. I, don't, I only know my in-laws. I don't know anybody else on this cruise. Some guy just comes and sits up by me and tells me just out of nowhere, 
I'm wasted off my bloop, you know. And he's drunk, obviously. I looked at him and I said, really? I couldn't tell, right? I just watched you cuss out some lady you don't even know, stumble over here and sit next to me. I couldn't tell you were drunk, right? And he goes, "Ah, I'm so wasted. And because he's drunk, he just thought me and him were best friends, right? And he starts talking to me and says, listen, I need help into my room. I'm going, well, you know, he does need help into his room. The best thing for this guy would be to get into his room. I said, hey, I'll help you. And well, then the conversation continued. And I realized as the conversation was continuing, he forgot that I was supposed to help him into his room. <laughs> he was carrying on a conversation. And I said, hey, buddy. Because we were buddies at that point, right? <laughs> hey, buddy. Uh, you want me to help you into your room? And all of a sudden, the dude switched. He flipped the script. Who do you think I am? You think I have any help? And he starts cussing me out. Like he starts getting in my face and cussing me out and telling me like, what are you trying to say? And I'm like, you're right. My bad. That's my bad. I was trying to do what you asked me to do, but you obviously forgot, right? So I'm like, my bad. I'll just leave you alone and walk away. And he's cussing as I walk away, right? Go get somebody else. I, I know why someone would say, man, if you just get someone drunk on grace, what's actually on the inside of that person when they lose all, like, all barriers, whatever's inside of them at that moment that they become drunk is what's going to come out. So if you got an angry person that in you know sober moments they can kind of control it, once they take off those kinds of walls, that anger is going to explode. And, and, and many of you in this room and people around us have done extremely uh, violent things when they're drunk. The funny part is they always blame, 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 blame it on the uh, 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 alcohol. <laughs> right? It's always the alcohol's fault. Always. I would never do that if I wasn't drunk. Maybe, maybe you wouldn't, but that's what was in you. See, what drunkenness does is takes down the walls and Let's out what's in you. And what people are afraid of is if you get someone uh, just kind of hot, you can do whatever you want. You know, this is that idea, I can, which that's not what grace is. You can do whatever you want. Now, grace is this far better than you can do whatever you want. This is this love that's given to us. And when we realize this kind of love and grace that only comes through what Christ has done, people are afraid of freedom. They're afraid of it, especially self-righteous people who have boasted in their accomplishments and built their whole reputation off what they've done. They hate it. And here's Paul speaking to these group of people who are afraid of what takes place when you 
tell someone they're saved by the work of Christ and his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and by faith in him rather than based upon these works. So Paul says, well, look at all these things that I have done. All of it is dung. It's crap. All of it. And I count it all as loss. I count it all as loss. This, this rings such a bell with me, guys, I can't even tell you. My life, uh, in short, if I could summarize, is that I was raised from the time of birth in pastor's home. My mom and dad, many of you have seen them, know them. They love God, they worship God. I was raised in church. And the way I interpreted the gospel and the way I interpreted my relationship with Christ was that I need to do everything right. So from a young age, I was not hanging out with those who smoke and cuss and, and those who do all these kinds of things, don't go to dances, don't do all these kinds of stuff. I was, I was trying to build my resume, right? And everything I did, I built up this kind of, this identity in just doing these good things. And, and early in high school, I mean, I was preaching sermons in, in service and I was leading youth Bible clubs and doing all these kinds of things. And, and all of that stuff sounds good and is good, except for the fact that I was attaching my righteousness to those things. And I was spending my life not only trying to do more to earn God's love and to earn others' respect, but, but it led me to this place where I went to Bible school, I get, I get married, and then I start working in a church, and, and, and I'm preaching this kind of Self-righteousness. 24, I, I find myself planting a church because I thought I could. I could do anything, right? I've done, I've been good. God owes me. Planted church, 29 years old, five years into this thing. I found myself living this life completely uh upright haven't done anything wrong at least we'll talk about that in a minute uh, had done everything that God had told me to do had walked in the ways that I have walked people respected me and I'm living in this place 29 years old pastoring this church and realizing I don't even know if I know Jesus I do know that I've had a business relationship with him where I've built up a ton of things that I've done so that I could look at him and say, you owe me. I do know that I have told people that if they do this, if they give this, if they walk this way, if they read their Bible, if they sing this loud, if they give this much, if they do these things, that God will bless them i do know that that was at the core the, the the message that if you just live like i live if you follow the rules i follow you will walk this way except most of the time i would swing from uh extreme pride where i'm better than everybody else to extreme condemnation where i am just undone 
never experienced freedom. Here's the thing you see in Paul's life that I resonate with. Uh, for someone who's self-righteous, here's well, where you will relate uh, if, if, if the Lord gives you the grace to see. Self-righteous people are trapped in pride and condemnation and never experience gospel freedom. Here's what I mean. You're constantly reminding yourself, reminding God, reminding others of all the things you've done. You're constantly thinking about ways that you could get from God the things that you feel He owes to you. Elevation, better job, more popularity. I just need to pray harder, fast harder, scream louder. I need to do these things. You're constantly in this place of pride. And when pride, because it is so thin of a layer, when pride gets popped, you swing to condemnation so quick. I spent days in bed in depression almost every week. And the only way that I could crawl out of this condemnation where I'm telling myself, I can't do it, I'm finding it, I, I try so hard, and God, you never do what I want you to do, and I can't believe I'm in this pity party. The only way I could pull myself out of it was by telling myself, I'm going to do more, I'm going to try harder, I'm going to be better. Self-righteous people find themselves constantly swinging from pride to freedom pride to condemnation never experiencing freedom the other thing that you'll find about self-righteous people is that they pick the rules that they can easily follow as the most important rules notice that they pick those rules so that they can elevate them as the most important and they don't even struggle to follow those ones. The last thing you'll notice if, or the last thing I'll mention, is they base their righteousness based on a curve. Um, they really need to find people that they're better than. Big time. At least I'm not like that. At least my life, at least all this, at least I'm not like that. They need to grade themselves on a curve. And in order to do that, just like Paul, you see that they end up spending their life attacking and persecuting and putting down everyone else. Pride that leads to ultimate persecution. You see, Paul said, look at all the things that I've done. I was the best at this. I was the best at this. I even persecuted the church. All because of what? Self-righteousness. I love how Paul looks back at that, that time of his life and says this. There was nothing in that that is worth boasting in. It was all pointless, stinky, nasty rubbish. I want to read you a quote from Spurgeon. 
then ask you some questions this morning. Spurgeon says this, be sure of this. The less you value your own righteousness, the more you will seek after true holiness. The less you think of your own beauty, the more you ardently will long to become like the Lord Jesus. Those who dream of being saved by their own good works are usually those who have no good works to mention. Those who sincerely lay aside all hope of salvation by their own merit are fruitful in every virtue they pray to praise God. Nor is this a strange thing. For the less a man thinks of himself, the more he will think of Christ and the more he will aim to be like he is. The less esteem he has, Of his own good works, the more earnest he will to show his gratitude of being saved by divine grace through the righteousness of Christ. Faith works by love, purifies the soul, and sets the heart running after the prize of our high high calling in Christ Jesus. The question is, that I want to lay before you. That I hope to answer at the end, but I want to lay it before you. And I, I want you to think honestly, without answering out loud, how would you answer this question? How do you know that you're saved? How do you know? How do you know that you are a child of God? How do you know that Christ has you how do you know it some of you most of you most people that i would ask that question to if they were honest would answer it this way well you know pastor i pray i read my bible or um i study i tithe i go to church i go to community group these are the ways that i know and and listen none of those are bad things and none of those i would say you shouldn't do but here's where it starts to get real funny they start saying things well i I, okay you know i don't go to church that much but i do pray i pray a lot you know when i'm driving in my car i shout out you know lord help me today Pastor, I get it. I get, I get what you're saying, but listen, listen. I don't read my Bible that much. You know, I, I'm busy. I, work is a big deal right now. I don't read my Bible that much, but, but listen, I'm kind to people. Everyone is going to come up in this room with things that they can boast in about their religious duties in order to prove their salvation. Rather than saying something like this. When's the last time you've asked somebody, you know, or, or, or thought to yourself, how do I know if I am saved? And they say something like this. Jesus uh, came into the world perfect, sent by God, his Father, to live the life that I couldn't live, to die the death that I couldn't die, to raise from the dead. And I trust in him with my whole life. And because of what Christ has done, And because I trust in him fully, that's how I know I'm saved. (laughs) 
It's amazing how desperately we want to look for something else outside of Christ to anchor our confidence in. But Paul says all of that stuff was foolishness. So where was, where was his confidence? Verse 10. Look at verse 10. That I might know him in the power of his resurrection and share in his sufferings Becoming like him in his death. You see, Paul desired an intimate acquaintance with the Lord Jesus. He wanted personal communion with the Lord in such the degree that he would know the power of God. He would know the power of his resurrection and he would acquaint himself with the death of Christ. Becoming like him. That his life would resemble a life of death with Christ. That his sins and all of his life had died with Christ. And now this new life was a reflection of the resurrection of Jesus. His longing and his desire was to know Jesus. To know him so deeply that everything else that Christ had died for would be buried with him. And everything Christ lived for and came and resurrected for. And that that life, that empty tomb, that, that work that he had done. That Christ was the central figure. Jesus was the central figure. You see, doctrine without Christ is nothing better than an empty tomb. A throne without Christ sitting on it is nothing more than a seat. The deepest longing, the deepest desire of Paul was not to boast in his self-righteous acts but to rest deeply and trust deeply and to know intimately who Christ is. There is something extremely powerful about a follower of Christ who wants to know Him and love Him and be acquainted with Him and follow Him and identify with Him. The power of knowing it's far greater than the power of doing. With one, those who do don't always know, but those who know always do. So what is he going after? The power of knowing. Let me, let me give you the best example that I can, and I'll use it in two forms, but both are the same. I'll use marriage and I'll use parenting. Just to give us this example, it's, if I'm sitting down with somebody and their marriage is falling apart and their only question to me is, Pastor, tell me what I can do to fix this marriage. I, I know I'm already out of the game. Because they'll sit around and pick apart 
all of the things they're not doing for each other and tell each other what they need to do. You need to start doing the dishes. You need to start bringing me flowers. You need to come home on time. You need to do this. You need to do this. Once you have to make a list of things that your lover needs to do for you, you've already crossed over the line of covenant love into performance for each other. Once you, you've gotten to that place of all you can point out is all the things you're not doing and all the ways you're not performing, you can already tell they think they can fix it by just working harder. It's amazing to me how many songs are out on the radio today that sing of a love that the world has never known of, and they're asking for unconditional love. Have you heard these songs? Unconditional. I will love you unconditional. And you're singing that, wait, wait, what? That's a different kind of love than this whole sex thing that's been going on. What about if I, was, if I got locked away, would you still love me the same? No, you hear it. And people are realizing that what's happened with this whole idea of love, that now songs are being written and just going, I, I don't want to know if you like me how I am. I want to know if you love me. What about if I'm gone? What about if all this falls apart? What about if I can't perform anymore? Do you love me? Why? Because I'm going to tell you what love actually does. When you love someone and when you want to know them, what that leads to is this great doing for the other. I want to know what you like. I want to know how to serve. I want to know what I can do to serve, to love, to know. Would you be happy if at the end of you raising all of your kids, they left your house obeying every one of your rules but did not like you at all? Would you be happy if you had the best kid and they listened to everything you said every time you told them to do it? Why do you want me to do this? Because I said so. That's the only reason why. If I say it, I want you to do it. And they spend their lives religiously following every one of your rules. And as soon as they can get out, they're gone never to do anything with you again. But they were a good kid. Or would you rather have a kid who wants to be like you? Who wants to know your heart? Who wants to know why you want them to do it? Who wants to know how to model their lives after you who respects who you are and knows that you love them how does that happen how does that happen this is what paul is arguing for he's showing that lovers will always outwork laborers. Always. And that his greatest desire 
is not to boast in all of the things, the good things that he's done, but what he wants us to know is that he wants to know Christ and he wants to know him in a couple of ways. He wants to fellowship with him in his sufferings. And, and because that's an important part, I hope that you see, I'm not trying to overlook it. He wants to identify everything that Christ died for, all of that sin that kept me bound and in chains, all of those things that were, that were holy. He, I want to identify with it. I want to fellowship everything that I need to die to. I want to die to it. But the part we're focusing on in this series specifically is this idea to know him in the power of his resurrection. What does that mean? To know him in the power of his resurrection. Keller says it this way. The difference between knowing Christ and knowing the power of the resurrection is the difference between knowing a person and wanting to be like them. The reason why Paul says I want to know him in the power of his resurrection is he's saying I want to be like Jesus. I want to be like him. You see, the self-righteous person doesn't do it to be like Jesus. He does it to make Jesus owe him something, right? But the person who wants to be like Jesus wants to do what he does with the heart and attitude. He wants to be the child who wants to model his life after his father. He wants to obey. He wants to serve. He wants to he wants the power of the resurrection to be in him. Why the power of the resurrection? Well, scripture says that the same spirit that raised Christ, the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead now lives in us. So when we ask questions like, how can the dead things of my life, the things that have had control of me for so long, how can that anger that has controlled my life, how can it be turned into forgiveness? When you ask about how this insecurity can be turned into confidence, when you, how can this self-centeredness be turned into compassion and generosity? How, how can this stuff that has so controlled every piece of my life be changed? The answer is, the dead stuff has died with Christ, is buried with Him, and the same Spirit that raised Christ from the grave abides in me. That same gospel and the way that I identify and I want to know Him in the power of His resurrection is through the power of the Spirit who lives in us. I want to be like Him. My question at the end as we take communion today... Let these ring in your heart. Let the Spirit of God go to places today that, that, that we could never go just by thinking deeply about it. My prayer is that the Spirit will show you this. What is the essence of your Christianity? Is it rooted in your good works? Or is it rooted in your desire to know God and resemble Him? Do you love him? Do you love him? 
Are you overwhelmed by the very goodness of what he's done for you on the cross? Is it still as fresh and as new that this amazing God of all this world sent his son to show you this great love? That in him we find this kind of love that we could see no other place that's not built upon your performance? Are you still trying to do business with God when he wants to be in covenant with you? Do you, do you love him? So much so that, that you want to you wanna be like him in the world. You want all those things, those dead things to be buried with him and this new life that you display before the world that they would see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. What does it mean to live a resurrected life? At the center of a resurrected life is Jesus. At the center of the resurrected life is a deep wanting to know him. Do you want to know him? When you come to this table, is it transactional where you're saying, okay, I better do communion? Or is it personal? This is his body and blood for me, for us. This is another display of his love and covenant for us, for his people. This is all about Jesus, this is all about His Spirit. This is stirring me to love and good works. Church, I, I'm amazed that I get to be in a relationship with Christ. I'm amazed that I get to know Him. I've, I've, I've met with so many couples. I want to use this covenantal language. I've seen some people who describe their relationship as a prison, an old ball and chain. And I've seen other people who describe their relationship as freedom. That I can't even believe I get to be in a relationship with this person. I'm so thankful that I even get to have this relationship. I've heard that in marriages. I've heard that in Christians, some people describe their relationship with Christ as an old ball and chain. And others describe it as freedom. I can't even believe I get to know him and fellowship with him. I, I, I can't even believe I get to be like him. I want to resemble him. That this freedom that I've found in Christ is not based upon me but it's based upon the very works that Christ has done.